Thank you for firing up the Sunrise Church podcast. My name is Steve Garcia, and I am the lead pastor at Sunrise. We are a community of Jesus followers from all walks of life, all colors of skin, and all ages. And I hope this message you hear today inspires you to deepen your connection with Christ. Let's dive in. Good morning, Sunrise Church. How are you doing this morning? I'm so glad and so blessed to be here in front of you today, and I have the opportunity and the pleasure of closing out this series on Here to Stay. And if this is your first time, don't worry, it's okay. Uh, We're going to bring you up to speed on what we have been doing as a church. And as you've heard in the video, today is Commitment Sunday. But if this is your first time attending, don't be alarmed. I will bring you up to speed. For the past four weeks, we have been discussing our next steps where God is leading the church of Sunrise. At the beginning of October, Pastor Steve shared the vision of Sunrise Church, increasing our outreach in the efforts of building this new peace center so that we can help and serve others that are in need, but also to extend our global reach to Kisumu, Kenya. And this endeavor is going to be a two-year given initiative, and we have called it Here to Stay. What do we mean by we're here to stay? We're here to stay for our church, for our city, and the world. For our church. As Christ followers, it is your responsibility and mine to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. God is using the church, the people in the church, in Christ so that we can touch the lives of others. For our city, we're called to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Our job is to get outside these walls and be the hands and feet of Jesus so that they can hear and feel the hope, the love of a God who is so amazing. And then finally for the world, Again, Matthew told us to go. Those are the words he recorded from Jesus. Go. We're called to go to the other ends of the world. And that's exactly what we're going to do. I, along with five others, had the opportunity to go to Kenya, Kusumo. And I must say, I was a little angry, a little heartbroken, a little saddened because of the conditions they were living in. But God lifted my heart when he introduced us to pastors who were already doing the work. So our responsibility and what we're saying is we're going to lean in and partner with them so that we can make a greater impact there. And we're saying we're here to stay. So I'm going to conclude this series here to stay. If you have your Bibles, please go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I want to highlight this conversation that Paul is having with the Corinthian church. He's challenging them. He's encouraging them because he wants them to finish the work that they begun. Now the church is in order. No one is infiltrating the church anymore, meaning the false Judaizers. Now they can get back to business. And what Paul does, he pleads with them and he says, hey, Now that we're back in alignment, I need us to continue to push and finish the mission. So that's where we're going to be. And I'm going to begin with verse 1 in chapter 8. 
It says, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches in the midst of very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Now, what Paul does first is he highlights churches in the northern Roman province of Greece, Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. And Paul says, because of their living conditions, it doesn't matter to them. They are doing some amazing work in God, and we want you now to partner with them so that you can bring change into a forever changing world. Verse 3 says, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. What Paul is simply saying is they had their priorities in order. God was first in their lives. And because of the relationship that they had with him, they begin to have the heart of him and they begin to serve the people around them. You and I must have our hearts first in line with what God is doing. And then that allows you and I to go out and be the hands and feet of Jesus so that they can hear the good news of him. They were missionally focused and their purpose was to please him. It wasn't for the accolades of men. Oh, look what we're doing as a church. No, they were focused and God used them in the mighty way. Paul goes on to say in verse six, so we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Many church folks come to church and they lift up their hands and say, I'm all in. They're serving and they're studying the word of God. But you can really tell if someone is really committed when you start messing with their pockets. Many say, I was all good. Now you meddling in my money. Because if God is all that, and he is, then why can't he do it for himself? I have an answer for that. It's simple. He wants to use you and I. And he wants us to be the example so that people can see the change that he's done in our lives. Paul called that the grace of giving. What's so amazing about the Corinthian church, they actually began the movement a year ago. But for some reason, they began, they begun and then they stopped. But Paul here is encouraging them to finish the work and sunrise, we're the people of God, and we've always been a generous church, and we have exhibited time and time again 
the love and grace of Jesus Christ and ultimately the world. And Paul is saying the same things to you and I today. We have to finish the work that we began two years ago. We have to finish the work because we have people on the lines Monday through Friday serving at the Peace Center. Countless hours, moving boxes, doing what God has called them to do. Now, we as a church have to get behind what God is doing so that it can get fulfilled. We want to make God look good. Paul goes on to verse 8 and says, I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. Did you hear those words from Paul? If you didn't know, and this is your first time ever hearing the gospel, do you know that Jesus came just for you and I? He left the glories of heaven so that we can be children of God by faith? Do you know that he put some of his powers, we would say, on the shelf so that we can be with him, God with us? And what Paul is saying, if Jesus can do it and he can sacrifice, I think we can do the same. What I love in the verse 8 is Paul is not forcing or manipulating the saints when he says, I command you. Literally saying, I want to give you a strong recommendation. I want to give you some advice. I want you to put a mirror up to your face and I want you to look through that mirror and see how God has blessed you. And through reflecting, if you can see how good and how great he is then what is your next step in this process of here to stay? He goes on to say, and here's my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it. Here's key, according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. The Corinthian church set the tone. They set the atmosphere for the collections and all the other church began to see what they were doing and they began to put in. What's amazing about the uh, Corinthian churches, they were Gentiles. And the gospel got to them. And God began to do an amazing work in them. So much so that they said, I'm ready to give. And now here comes Titus through the words of Paul saying, now it's time to complete the work. He's essentially saying, great job. but complete the work. I want to say the same thing as Paul. Great job. Now it's time to complete the work. What's the work? We have to raise $7 million. 
And God's going to do it. You're not going to like this. With you or without you. Because it's a God thing. And he's in charge. But he's also saying it's not about giving what you don't have. He says if you have a dollar, then give that. If you have a million, give that. But your responsibility is get before the throne of God and say, how may I serve? Verse 13 says, our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard pressed, but that, here it is, there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. What Paul does is he points them to the wilderness. He points them to when Israel was in the wilderness in Exodus. He said, remember how God took care of you? Remember how God made sure you ate every day? Remember how God makes sure your shoes didn't run out and your clothes were, were there and kept? Remember how God did that? So as God kept you, it's time for you to put in to what God is doing today. But I love what he said. He said, I don't want to make it hard for you at the expense of others. I don't want you to break the bank and go in poverty. But I want you to really do is do an honest assessment on what God is saying. Because here, the Jerusalem church was suffering. The reason why they were suffering was because they went to Jerusalem for the big day. And then uh, Peter preached a sermon. And many people came. And many people received Christ. The Bible says 3,000 people. And because of that, Jerusalem was stretched. And then next thing you know, here comes persecution in the church. And then saints lost their jobs and they're trying to figure things out. But the work of God was still growing. So Paul says, I have an idea. Let's collect the collection. And let's go back and assist the Jerusalem church. Why? Because if they wouldn't have did what God said do, then we have never would have heard the news. Our responsibility is to go outside these walls so that those who never heard of Jesus can hear him. And through your testimonies and through your hard work, they can come to Christ just like you did. And from there, we can do God's work. Paul didn't want to solve the financial crisis in Jerusalem at the expense of creating poverty for them. Paul was concerned for all of the members. And it's our responsibility, church, to help one another in times of need, whether it's physical or spiritual. That's what we're called to do. So if you're taking notes, I'm going to park right here because I want to put four things in your mind while I think it's so important to finish the work. As a church, it's our responsibility. Now, we can't help everyone, 
but we can go where God is leading us. And what Paul is saying to the Corinthian church, God has an assignment, and that's to help others, but it's going to cost you something. Just like it cost Jesus his life, it's going to cost you something for the betterment of them, just like when Jesus was on a cross for the betterment of us. So when you're talking about biblical giving, when you're talking about uh, uh, initiative like this, I, I want to focus on four spiritual concepts. And the first one is this. Biblical giving is by proportionate. What do I mean by that? In the New Testament, there is no fixed amount or percentage for giving to the Lord's work. But look at verse 11 again in chapter 8. He says, now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it. Here it is, according to your means. For if the willingness is there, here it is, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. All Paul is saying is just do an honest assessment of your spiritual and your financial portfolio. <laughs> He's simply saying, lay it on the table. What can you give? But at the same time, he's not telling you what to give. He's just saying, be honest with what you're doing. He says it like this in verse 6 of chapter 9. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly would also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have, here it is, decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, many saints want to take this text and make it very vulgar. Oh, you mean if I put into the pot, he's going to give me double for my trouble? You, you mean if I give 100, he's going to give two? Is that how you want to read and live within God's word? We call that prosperity gospel, and that's very dangerous, and it's a lie. There's no truth in that. What he's saying is, it's a heart condition. And you need to get, and I need to get in front of God's throne and really say, God, how can you use what I have? The term translated decided is only used one time in the New Testament, and it's here. And here's the definition. It means it indicates a premeditated, predetermined plan of action that is done from a generous heart and is done voluntarily. What Paul is saying is you need to get in front of God. You need to predetermine what you're going to give based on your relationship with him and based on what you have and then come with a commitment. And for the past few weeks, we as a church have challenged you and encouraged you to get in front of the throne of God. 
I believe in week three, we had you begin to look at these commitment cards. And all we said was pray. Pray what God would do in your life. Pray what God wants you to give. And as you do that, begin to pray over it and over it and over it again. And once you've done that, fill it out because today is the day. Me and my wife did the same thing. Well, babe, this has nothing to do with tithes and offering. What are we going to do? How are we going to make this work? It's for 24 months. What can we do? How can we stretch our finances? Now, back in the day when I was growing up, uh, when Christmas time came, my mother would put things on layaway. Many of you don't know what that is, but I asked my daughter, I said, she said, Daddy, I'm hungry. I said, well, you got some money? She said, no, I have you. I said, well, do you want to put it on layaway? She looked at me like, what are you talking about? I said, wow. Layaway is, my mother goes shopping for Christmas around October. And back then it was Kmart, not Walmart. And we'd get clothes and we'd pick them out. Then she'd go over there to the customer service and she'll put 20% down. And she'll pay monthly payments. And when Christmas came, we got our presents. Same concept. Me and my wife sat down and we divided by 24 months. What can we give? Divided by 24. And that was our commitment. Same thing for you. God wants us to finish the work. So continue to think through that process. Number two, this is the second thing I want to deposit in your spirit. Biblical giving is sacrificial. It's sacrificial. Verse 8 says again, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. The picture of sacrificial giving is Jesus Christ. And he willingly gave so that we could be rich in him. Spiritually, possibly financially, but most importantly, eternally. If you know him by faith, he's our access. And God didn't give 10% of Jesus. He gave 100% of his son. That's not what we're asking. That's not what Paul is saying. What Paul is saying is, I need to, to sacrificially think on how. You can do work for the ministry. A couple of weeks ago, we gave you a scripture and we kind of unpacked this story of the widow woman. She had the same heart as Jesus had. Mark 12, 41 says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the, offering was, where, uh, where, where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow 
came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their surplus or their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything all she had to live on. Now you theologians in a room, how you know that? How does Jesus know that she put in everything? How does Jesus know that she gave her all to him? I can answer that question because he's God in the flesh. And it's in the Bible. And if it's in the Bible, that means it's true. You believe in apple. <laughs> Get me started. Amen. At the end of the day, it's sacrificially given. And that's what he did. And that's what she did. And as we bring this given initiative to the commitment phase, I want you again to really pray. Really pray. And actually ask God, what would you have me to do? In this season of ministry, it's not really how much you give. It's actually the heart behind the gift what makes the difference. The first spiritual concept was biblical giving is proportionate. The second one was it's sacrificial. Here's the third one. It's voluntary. It's voluntary. Verse 10 says in chapter 8, and here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. What Paul is saying is, here's my recommendation. Here is my opinion. This is what I think you ought to think about doing. Why? Because last year you were the first not only to give but also to have the desire to do so. Here's his challenge. Finish the work. Finish the work according to your means. He's not forcing anyone. He's simply preaching the word of God. He's presenting what God has been doing. And he says, would you partner with him for the greater good? And we're going to say the same thing as a church. God is doing a big thing and many people already given. Are you willing to allow the work to be done? And here's the deal. It's going to happen with or without you but I want you to partner with God. I want you to partner with Sunrise Church. But here it has to be voluntary. Again, verse six in chapter nine, Paul says at the bottom of at verse seven, God loved a cheerful giver. That Greek word, cheerful, it actually means hilarious which suggests that God loves a heart that is enthusiastically thrilled and have a pleasure of giving. Simply God laughs. He's, he's hysterical when he sees you giving. Like, wow, look at my people. They love me that much. But they did it with a willing heart, not reluctant on a compulsion. You can keep that. I'll be honest, you can keep it because it's not in the right heart. God has a unique, special love for those who are happily committed to generous giving. But you have to do it voluntarily. And many have already done that. And for those who have, thank you. For those who's praying about it, thank you. Those who are in offense, thank you for even thinking about it. 
That means God is working in your heart. This is the last one. This is the one I want you to really lean into. Biblical giving is communal. It's communal. Verse 13 says, Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The gold is equality. There will be going to be times when you don't have it all together and you're going to be in need. And you're going to want someone to help you. And so while you have the surplus, help them. So if times get hard, it's all about community. It's not making sure one is rich, one is poverty. That's, that's what the government is fighting about. <laughs> what God is saying is, I want my people to sacrificially lean in to what others are doing. But what I love about Paul, he, he always forward see confusion, conflict. People probably in the hallways conversating, being haters, trying to go against the mission. That's what was happening in the Corinthian church. So he encourages the saints to lean into it to the tension. Paul says simply, some people might say, other people are going to profit from my hard work. Why should I give to this cause? Or some might say, I have enough financial trouble of my own. I'm not going into debt for people I don't know. Or other people might say, what difference are we really going to make? We're working with 50 families in Kenya. If you were one of the 50, would it matter to you? Uh-huh, you didn't like that. I understand. But sometimes we can be so mean and, 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 and so rude, not understanding that God is in the business of helping and it's our responsibility to partner with him. The principle undergirding the whole project is one of equality as relates to justice and fairness. And as a church, we have the opportunity and the responsibility to invest in the kingdom of God and help those in need. I remember as a kid growing up, uh, my grandfather used to bring a box, a cardboard box. And what he had in the box, he brought cheese, butter, milk, cereal, a uh, couple of other things, apple juice to the house every Friday. And I didn't know where he got it from. But as I grew up, I found out that every Friday he would go to a local church and bring the food home to my mom. Now, we had an okay life. My mother took care of us. But that's something she didn't have to worry about. So she was able to take the other money that she would have spent on that and put it towards something else. Whether it was a bill, whether it was buying something nice for herself, whether it was giving us some money to buy clothes or do some kind of recreational activity. That was her heart. But then on Sunday, she had her envelope. 
And she graciously gave to God all that God required of her. That's my mother's story. That's not my story. My money was my money. And even though I was raised in church, I didn't give to the church because I didn't understand church and money. I thought the pastor was just keeping it to himself because he would drive up in a Cadillac, had his own little parking spot next to his wife's parking spot. And I couldn't understand why we couldn't get nothing fixed in the church. So I thought in my ignorance that I'm not giving you anything. Why? So I can fatten your pockets? And then I came to Sunrise Church. I would give sporadically through the ministry, through the years, but it was nothing committed. So I had the same posture, but what took my mind and made it different was they started talking about budgets. I said, a church got a budget? And I began to become intrigued, so I put an elder to the side, and I said, uh, tell me about this, this, this giving business with God. And he began to slowly educate me on what it means to give to a church. And what really stuck in my mind, it may blow your mind, well, it blew my mind, you might think it's simple. He said, Anthony, how do you think the lights come on? How do you think you have the AC or the heater? How do you think you get the materials? How do you think we pay for these outreach events? I said, I don't know how all that happened. God, he said, no, the saints that God is working through. And he challenged me. He really challenged me. And I began to really pray and think through those things. And this is the verse that God put my devotional time and I stumbled on it. It was Malachi 3.10. It says, bring the whole tie into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I, won't, if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessings that there will be no room enough to store it. The word that stuck out to me was test me. I love a test. Okay, God, you want me to test you? Fine. And I tested him. And I tested him. I'm still testing him. He's yet to fail me yet. God has taken so much care of my family more than anything I can ever think of. And I have more money now than I've ever had in my life. And I give above and beyond. And I'm just so thankful that someone had the audacity and the boldness and the courage to say, let's talk about this. As I journeyed with Christ, I can say with my whole heart that I truly love him. And all that I have is because of him. And that's not where my faith journey began. The Holy Spirit is still doing the work in my life today. I know inflation is here. It's up 12%. I know that. 
I know hearts are tough. Hearts are tough. You're trying to figure things out. I know that. But God is still God. And if you truly trust and believe, he has taken care of you then. He will take care of you now. My question to you is, do you really have a story? Do you have a financial story? If not, I want you to pray about it. In a moment, we're going to watch this video by Pastor Steve. But before I do that, I want to talk to you in the room and online who do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because I believe God cares more about your heart than he does your money. I know I do. I'd rather you put in, meaning your heart to him, instead of going to hell. John 3.16 says, For God told the world that he gave his only son, only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Here's the key verse. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God the Father gave 100% of his son just for you. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that's where it begins. And I believe that's where it starts because if God can work on your heart, he can work on your pockets. That's easy. But I want to make sure that you're in the right standing with him. So we can all bow our heads and close our eyes. This is a time for you to really be honest with yourself. This is a time for you to really get before God's throne and say, Lord, do I really have a relationship with you? Now, here's the answer to that question. If you're asking the question, that means you don't. <laughs> so let's take care of that today. If you want to, by faith, have a relationship with Jesus Christ, just repeat these words after me in the silence of your heart, and that includes online. Say, Lord, I'm broken. I trust and believe that you sent your one and only son just for me, and he's interceding for me as I speak. Please come into my life. That's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. I want to encourage you to not just stop here. Maybe you sense God is speaking to you today and wanting you to take that next step. So here's two ways you can do just that. The first is text the word next to the number 909-281-7797. That's 909-281-7797. You'll receive a message back with some ways to help you grow. That may mean joining a small group or finding a place to serve or just talking with someone one-to-one -one about your faith. You can also visit the notes for this podcast and follow the links provided. And if you're within driving distance of one of our four physical locations in Banning, Ontario, Rialto, or Victorville, we'd love for you to stop by sometime and give us a chance to meet you personally. Again, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope to see you soon. God bless.